Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz. My guest today is, it's a repeat, uh, Tim Ferriss. You may recall he is the best-selling author of the 4-Hour Workweek, writes an incredibly popular blog, and has recently released a new book called The 4-Hour Body, an uncommon guide to rapid fat loss, incredible sex, and becoming superhuman. I just lost my PG rating, doggone it. Tim, uh, thanks for joining me. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I think this might be your second or third time on the show. I can't remember, but uh, I think um, it's a three-peat. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think I think it's our third anniversary. Well, so the topic of exercise and energy and stamina, you know, might seem like an odd one for a business show, but uh, as somebody who's been an entrepreneur and business owner for 25 years, I. I I realize it is an increasingly important aspect of running mm-hmm. your own business. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work, and it, take, it takes some endurance. So I, that's why I really wanted to have you on, because I think this is an extremely relevant topic for business owners. Oh, absolutely. And, in fact, there's an anecdote in, in within the first few pages uh, related to Richard Branson. Uh, right. A friend of mine was on Necker Island and asked Richard directly, what what would you recommend to become more productive? And he said, work out. His answer was work out. He said, by working out, I get an additional three to four hours of productive work done per day. And for any entrepreneur, certainly any, anyone who wants to grow a business, but even more so anyone with competition, that's a, a significant competitive advantage. Yeah, I wrote a blog post a while back called the exercise uh, or the math of exercise or something like that. That that I really find that that you know when I work out, I I get you know, two or three hours more out of the day. So, and having no time to exercise is not an excuse, is it? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, there's a, I was actually told once, if you don't have time to meditate, if you don't have time for 30 minutes of meditation, then you need three hours. And I think that <laughs> if, if you don't have time for exercise, you need, you, you probably most need to make a little bit of time for exercise. So now some people would suggest that this is a pretty massive shift of topic for you. You know, the four hour work week mm-hmm. was, was, you know, Although I, there's certainly a lifestyle, you know, link I think between the two. But uh, what, what would you say to people that would say, "Gosh, you know, where's Tim coming from with this topic?" Oh, I would say that it's actually almost appropriately a follow-up to the four-hour work week in the sense that the same principles, the eighty-twenty principle, Pareto principle, all of the same principles that people would recognize from four-hour work week were applied to the physical body, whether that's fat loss endurance, sleep, sex, all the, all the topics that you mentioned, and, and about uh, 40 more. And it's actually a very much related to my angel investing and advising, believe it or not. So the testing that I do with companies, whether it's Evernote or, or StumbleUpon or others, the analytics, the split testing, the multivariate testing, it gives such usable, actionable data in such a short period of time, what I wondered to myself before I started writing this was, is the technology at a point where I could actually do that to the human body, where you could split test, you could multivariate test your breakfast, you could use an ultrasound device to track your body fat every 24 hours if you wanted. And I was able to do that. And you you, you end up finding some really non-obvious solutions to long-standing problems. What role would you say that, uh, um, I think we were talking before we started recording here, the book is, has, uh, at this last week in December, um, it is selling extremely well. It's uh, listed very high on, on Amazon, uh, number four, I think it is. What, what role would you say that both in writing the book and obviously now in selling the book, kind of the audience that you built with the 4-Hour Workweek, I mean, what role did that play? Well, it played a huge role. 
it played an enormous role. And there were a, a few things from the marketing standpoint that I think helped tremendously. Uh, the first was, and this was high labor, uh, but uh, a labor of love because I owe everything, the blog, the first book, certainly selling this book to my, my readers. I did an exclusive signed edition with Barnes & Noble and used that to incentivize pre-orders. So I did that first, and I don't like pre-ordering books, but if I have an incentive to get an exclusive of some type, I would. And that's what I did with Barnes & Noble first and foremost. So the early adopters for those people at the same price, it was the same exact price as it uh, would be later on Amazon, buy through bnn.com assigned edition, step number one. And then that was used to demonstrate demand and to increase the retail orders through all the different channels. Uh, Second is I began heating material very early on, but it wasn't to prompt pre-orders. It was simply to tease. It was like a blockbuster. It was like Tron, (laughs) the approach they used to release Tron, where they they provided trailers, uh, I think it was at Comic-Con, before the movie was even sold officially. Uh, I did. Uh, I took a very similar approach and a similar tack, and used my readers also used their feedback to produce the product. So I tested the subtitle of the book uh, extremely extensively using SurveyMonkey surveys, where I, I randomized the order of the responses or options, and tested it through Facebook. First through Facebook because I could use the fan page analytics to know my demographic. Then I did it through Twitter. Then I did it through the blog. And I've got about 5,000 responses, so very statistically valid, and ended up going with the strongest subtitle, which has proven to be very, very effective. Well, didn't you, and didn't, didn't you also was, use some of – I mean, weren't, weren't some of your readers of your blog – I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? Weren't some of your readers of the blog uh, uh, guinea pigs, so to speak, for some of your testing even in the book? Oh, absolutely. And the the fact of the matter is that I've been tracking my physical data since I was about 18. So it predates the four-hour work week by – this obsession predates the four-hour work week by many, many years. And part of the reason I knew or I felt the book could be received very well and help people is because I had in 2007 written a number of blog posts on fat loss, on the slow-carb diet, on – minimalist mass gaining programs, things of that type. And they are still, to this day, my most popular posts I've ever written. And um, for the slow-carb diet in particular, there's close to 4,000 comments on that post. It's used almost like a forum. And I was able to track and survey and measure the results of um, at least 194 people. Those are who I included in graphs in the book. There's an, there's an appendix in the book that shows all the data, which is pretty pretty cool. Uh, and, and 10 years ago, this would have cost millions of dollars to do, and now I can do it in a weekend with a, a few online tools. There's some um, you know, very common, what I, I mean, anybody who's read a number of books that probably fall into this category, and I don't mean diet books, but I mean maybe sort of books that try to go against a little bit of conventional wisdom. Um, there's some common things in there, you know, the don't eat white food. You know, that's, that's become, I think, pretty accepted. Um, one that just really caught my eye and attention because it goes against, I don't know that I've seen anybody um, support this uh, particular idea, and that's the idea of not eating fruit. I mean, um, that's why right. it's probably got to be a little hard for some people to swallow, doesn't it? 
It is. It's very counterintuitive, and it's not something I set out to prove. It's something that simply came out of the data because I was doing blood tests every two to four weeks in some cases, and I actually implanted a medical device in my side to track my blood glucose 24-7. So I had very good data and realized that fructose, the principal sugar in fruit, is converted converted to something called glycerol phosphate and then to fat very effectively. And uh, for that reason, also, agave nectar, which a lot of people use as a healthy sweetener, is actually probably just as fattening as high fructose corn syrup. It's almost pure fructose. It's like 90% mm-hmm. fructose. Um, now, the fruit juice, I noticed a number of things. The first is that it halted fat loss or slowed it incredibly. The second was that it actually caused dangerously high levels of iron to be stored. So if you're anemic, this might be helpful, but for for most normal people, particularly men, because men don't menstruate, at least most men don't, uh, this can be very dangerous. Uh, so I recommend minimizing fruit six days a week. On, on the cheat day, the off day, which I highly recommend to everyone, uh, you can consume as much fruit as you want. But for the most part, I recommend minimizing it. And from an evolutionary standpoint, yes, we, we descended from, from primates uh, who consumed fruit. This is true. But if you look at, let's say, northern European ancestry, how much fruit were these people able to eat in the winter? Uh, as just one example, not much. And I, I think that certainly not Florida oranges in December. So limiting, limiting it to once per week, uh, just as an insurance policy, is, is more than enough, I feel. This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Another, um, I think, fairly common practice even mentally, I think, in, in people that are trying to lose weight or, or maintain a healthy weight is, is this idea of, hey, take, give, your, give yourself a break, have an off day, you know, where you're not just, you know, regimented so much. I think you take it a step farther and you actually, you actually suggest that don't just take an off day and, you know, eat some things that are not on the list. You, you talk about actually binging as a healthy off day, and, and that's another one that I've, I've got to believe some people are raising their eyebrows at. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, excuse me. Um, it, this is also controversial, but what I found is there are doing it halfway is not enough. If you feel like you are, if you are restrained and denying yourself, even if it's only denying yourself 50%, so you allow a few things off the list and slide onto the list for one day, you will binge but in an unscheduled, unplanned, uncontrolled way, and that will cause you to abandon your diet, ultimately. So rather than having unplanned binging, I highly recommend, and when I use, I'll explain what I mean by binge, but strategic overeating uh, at set times where you don't restrain yourself at all. It doesn't mean you have to force feed yourself, but you don't have to restrain yourself. So in my case, I love chocolate croissants. I love pizza, wild nettle pizza, if you're interested, and uh, many other things. I bear, like bear claws. Bear claws seem to make a bear claws very high <laughs> on my list as well. Usually consumed at the same time as the croissants, and the list goes on and on. I enjoy these foods, and I don't restrain myself at all. And that is part of the joy of life: is eating. So. 
really eliminating calorie counting for any time. There's no calorie counting whatsoever done. And focusing on just a few simple rules and then one day where you're completely unrestrained is very effective for compliance to the method. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the second point I would make is that the the day that you binge can be controlled. So what I mean by that is there's an entire chapter called damage control, which you might have seen, mm-hmm. that talks about techniques for minimizing fat gain when you overfeed. So that could be using... Uh, squeezing a few limes into a glass and using that citrus juice to lower the glycemic index of a meal. It could be using cinnamon. It could be by taking, let's say, 300 milligrams of alpha lipoic acid. There's a whole portfolio of techniques that you can use, whichever are most convenient and appropriate to you, for minimizing fat gain. So I actually consumed close to, I think it was 6,000 calories in 12 hours and then measured my body fat as lower 48 hours later later to demonstrate that you don't need to absorb those calories as fat. There are ways that you can control that. So let's move on to exercise. You know, conventional wisdom, mm-hmm. I'm 50, guy my age, if I want to, you know, stick around and have the so, slow curve, you know, towards uh, um, towards wherever I'm headed that, uh, um, you know, four or five days of minimum exercise, a couple of those ought to be lifting weights. Uh, you uh, seem to promise uh, that, you know, you can do far less than that. I do, and I, I won't hedge. I do promise that absolutely, uh, because I've 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 sought and tested in each of these areas the minimum effective dose, and it's not so we can get away with doing the least possible. It's doing the least amount necessary, and uh, anything above that increases your likelihood of injury, increases your likelihood of depressed immune function and getting sick. So, really focusing on the proper dose of exercise and. Just talking about the age, I think it's worthwhile to note that my dad is, I guess, 66 right now, and over the last year has lost 90-plus pounds of fat and gained between 20 and 30 pounds of muscle uh, by exercising less than 40 minutes per week, uh, two separate resistance training sessions, and that's it. The rest is diet. Now, you're not, I, I mean, again, we're primarily talking about you know, maintaining a healthy state. I mean, if somebody has objectives like I want to run a marathon, I mean, you're not suggesting that that's going to be accomplished in in little or no training. I'm sorry, you broke up for one second. I'm not I, I'm saying you, you're, a lot of what we're talking about is maintaining a you know a, a healthy you know um, overall um, you know state. But if if I have objectives like I want to run a marathon, you know, this year, you're not suggesting that that it can be done with uh, little or no training. Uh, So I I actually am suggesting that I think a very uh, healthy, uh, a very healthy body could be created and maintained on less than 40 minutes per week. I actually, I actually am saying that, believe it or not, Uh, because if you look at the physiological responses to intelligent resistance training, you actually get a better aerobic workout, metabolically speaking, in the hours following a weight training workout than if you were on the treadmill during those hours and uh, as you're clearing lactate and other things out of muscle tissue. So uh, the the best bang for the buck for women and men, uh, that's why I included a, a picture of Marilyn Monroe doing bench presses in the beginning <laughs> of the book, is very intelligent, slow-tempo weight training for very brief periods of time. And if you look at our Paleolithic ancestors, this fits perfectly, uh, looking at long rest intervals with brief uh, intermittent 
spurts of whether it's hunting or gathering and so forth. Um, and our DNA hasn't changed that much in the last 10,000 years, or, uh, even 40,000 years. This uh, book has sold well already. I would suggest it is going to possibly sell more books than the four-hour work week, if that's possible. Um, however, as with the four-hour work week, there are some people that suggest both in the medical field and otherwise that you're full of crap. Um, and of yep. course, of course, you've, you know, we, we've discussed this before, you know, I think one of your, um, most endearing qualities, if you will, is your, uh, you know, ability to polarize. So <laughs> what, uh, w- you know, what do you say sort of to some of the folks, uh, in, in the medical field in particular that say, well, gosh, we've got, you know, hundreds of years of data and all this testing and how can you come out with, you know, one book and say we're wrong? Uh, what I would say, uh, there, I have, so the first thing I would say is I make no claims to be the expert. The first, the first and most important characteristic of the four-hour body is that I have Harvard-trained MDs, I have NASA scientists, I have the best strength coaches, Olympic coaches, professional athletes in the world in this book. Mm-hmm. So the four-hour work week bought me access to those people, and that's why I waited this long to write the four-hour body. The second thing I would say is that MDs are specialists. And if you're a urology expert, as one example, that does not, by default, make you a nutrition expert. And in fact, um, I've, I've gone through the training curriculum for Harvard, Johns Hopkins, Stanford medical schools. It's something called Pogo Health, which I think was only recently in the last six months discontinued. But it was approximately 130 hours of self-paced online training that covered the very bare essentials of, of nutrition, which were actually outdated by the time that was produced. And I do that much every month personally. <laughs> so, uh, and I have access to people who are publishing in the journals. So I would say that's, that's the second point. The third is, uh, as an example, I just spent about an hour with Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, who's certainly a qualified MD, uh, on his show this morning. And he was very forthcoming in saying that, uh, that he felt that, that I knew more about this than most MDs because most MDs, and it is not because they're not trained well. It's because they're trained for their specialty, uh, are not well-versed in these subjects. They're not exercise physiologists. They're not nutritional biochemists. And uh, so I think that to the MDs who criticize this and uh, perhaps lombast this without looking at the material, it's a very unscientific response to a scientific question. I want to finish up with um, a, a, a topic. I'm going to leave the... 15-minute orgasm to another day, I guess. But <laughs> I want to I finish up with a topic um, that I think is really intriguing, and that's the idea of reversing permanent injuries. Uh, good topic. Mm-hmm. So where should I start? That's yeah, just, a big one, I, I a guess, really you important know, one, too. Yeah. G- give, give us the one- or two-minute kind of overview of you know how you came about that and, and you know the, what kind of hope that might offer to somebody that you know is, is you know just – particularly nagging uh, over-exercise injuries. (laughs) Right. So I have accumulated an atrocious number of injuries in my lifetime. I was uh, All-American in wrestling, national champion in in Chinese kickboxing. The list goes on and on. I've I've had more uh, more than 30 fractures, more than 20 dislocations, mostly my left shoulder, which was then surgically reconstructed. And I wanted to see if if I had... no budget limit, if I had access to all of the best people who work with professional athletes, what could I do? Could I reverse all of my injuries? If 
if I if I if I were willing to test everything. And so I tested everything from yoga and postural physical therapy to importing stem cell growth factor from Israel and injecting it up and down my spine with the help of a doctor. So the the upshot of that is I have reversed almost all of my injuries, uh, which is by far I would say the most significant uh, change in my body that came out of this book. The other being uh, fertility. I mean, I doubled my sperm count, tripled my testosterone, which is a separate story. But a few recommendations for people right off the bat. So the first is uh, you need to treat the causes and not just the symptoms. So if you are constantly sitting at a desk and you're going to have, let's say, tight hip flexors that pull at your lower back and cause postural problems, you need to not only do exercises to correct that, but consider getting something like a standing desk. That will solve most of your lower back problems uh, and hip issues just by varying your position during the day so you're not constantly sitting. Uh, one of the top PTs I worked with literally says to his patients, sitting is death. I mean, that's <laughs> he wants them to remember three words, sitting is death. So really minimizing the time that you're sitting stationary with, with your weight on your hip bones. Uh, secondly, if, if you have chronic injuries, uh, I would suggest looking at a few, few particular therapies, uh, one of which is called ART. ART stands for Active Release Technique, and what it, in, what it entails is identifying tissues that are adhered to each other, so muscles that are adhered to each other and aren't functioning properly, uh, muscle that is adhered to ligaments, etc., uh, and these are usually due to prior injuries of various types, and manually re- releasing those adhesions, which is about as pleasant as it sounds. It's not comfortable. But uh, you see incredible gains in very short periods of time. I had a 15-minute session with a very famous strength coach called Charles Poliquin, and I gained about 50 degrees, I would say, of the internal rotation on my shoulder within 15 minutes. Uh, it's that significant. Uh, and the, the gains are pretty, uh, pretty otherworldly. So I'd suggest looking at ART. And uh, lastly, I would encourage uh, using uh, strengthening the posterior chain. All that means is the, back, the musculature on the back side of the body, from the from the Achilles tendons all the way up to the base of the skull. And a very effective way to do that that, that takes very little time is uh, kettlebell swings. And you would do one set uh, of 20 to 50 repetitions with the kettlebell swing, the two-handed kettlebell swing, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that alone will fix a lot of the postural imbalances and problems that lead to most common pains, in uh, certainly in the U.S. today. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. I, kn- I know you're on the dead run, and 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 I'm gonna. I wrote down sitting is death uh, because <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some days that that's ten hours for me. So, uh, uh, yep. you know, I'm. Gonna get, I'm going to get that standing desk. I've always thought they were pretty cool anyway, so now I've got a good reason to oh, get yeah. one. Um, but uh, I, I wish you well. I appreciate you joining me again uh, for our body. I, I'll be interested to uh, um, to see uh, certainly the after Christmas, you know, I'm going to get my body in shape. Folks are, are certainly uh, going to be great candidates for that book as well. No, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be on. It's been three years in the making. Yeah. 
and it's uh, by far the most important thing I've, I've ever written. So I, I hope people uh, who do have a chance to check it out enjoy it. For those people who want to see a sample chapter, uh, look at the video trailer, see photographs, they can certainly go to fourhourbody.com, all spelled out, F-O-U-R. And uh, I wish you very happy holidays. Thanks right. for having me again. Thanks, Tim. Uh, we'll talk again soon. I'm sure hopefully we'll run into you out there on the road. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.